Welcome to the Evoke Greatness podcast. My name is Sunny, and this is my weekly podcast driven by my curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. I have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, and I'm dedicated to sharing the stories of myself and others and how we have navigated the journey to greatness, all while stumbling through valuable lessons along the way. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. I am really excited today. My guest is Jake Thompson. Jake is an entrepreneur, an author, a keynote speaker, a coach, a podcast host. The list could really, really go on and on. And more than anything, an all-around really great guy. And so, Jake, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to hang out this afternoon. Well, I have read your book. Matter of fact, I have it right here. Compete Every Day, The Not-So-Secret Secret to Winning in Work and Life. I, uh, I listen to your podcast regularly and consume a lot of your content. So I feel like we're already BFFs. But for those, who may, not, Let's do it. those who may not know everything about your story, I would love for you to share the story of, you know, how did you get to be the Jake, the version of Jake that you are today? Uh, a lot of trips and falls and failures and, and everything along the way that life and, and business throw your way. Um, you know, I laugh that you were going through the intro and, and I chuckle at the podcaster and author and all that. Cause the one I love the most is really being just chief encouragement officer. And I think that really ties into my own story. Um, flashback, it was 2008. I was finishing grad school. What I thought was going to be a dream career in the sports agency world was not what I anticipated. And I couldn't get a job. Um, you know, I was switching out of sports. I'd worked for the Dallas Cowboys. I'd worked in a, for minor league football teams. And at that time with the recession, jobs are already really tough to find. And then you have a kid with an MBA, very non-traditional work experience, and I can't get hired anywhere. And so I start consulting. I, I had basic marketing strategy. I knew a little bit on design and web that I self-taught. And social media was super new. And so everybody was just trying to figure out how to learn it. I was super fortunate to meet some people that were very experienced in the space and just started learning from them and trying to teach clients. Flash forward a couple of years, had a great consulting practice, but was very unfulfilled with the work. I just wasn't happy with what I was doing and realized more than anything else, I was building this epic sandcastle on the beach. And we know what happens to the sandcastle when the tide comes, washes away, and it's like it's never been there. And so I had this like craving, calling, purpose to do something more. And looking back, you know, I'd gone to college to play football. I'd gotten hurt the summer before I got there. And then in my spring semester, I had an opportunity to go back out. And really what happened in that moment that honestly, I just have kind of talked about in the last year or so is fear got in my ear. And it, it was a fear of getting hurt again. It was a fear of not fitting in. It was a fear of failing at the one thing that I thought I was good at and, and counted so much of my identity in. And so I had an opportunity to chase a dream and I allowed fear to talk me out of it. And it was a regret that I carried for decades and just haunted me of this idea that I settled instead of courageously chased after what I said I really wanted. 
Flash forward, uh, it's 2010. Um, I'm tired of my consulting, 2011, and I'm looking for something new. And, and this thing kept sticking with me of the regret I'd carried about the decision I made. And then I looked around and saw friends settling for jobs they hated and, and toxic relationships and bosses that sucked and friend circles that would just you know want to go out and party and sleep off hangovers on the weekend and, and weren't really doing more. And I, it just kind of broke my heart because I was like, I know like what that's like. I've been there. I've done that. And I also know like how heavy a burden regret is after the fact. And at that moment, I was like, I, I don't know what it is, but I just want to figure out a way to help people stop settling. Spent about six months tinkering with brand names and ideas. And finally, Compete Every Day came out. And when I told two buddies this on a ski trip, they were like, that is you. You are the most competitive person we know. Like I'm the kid that in college, like if I lost a video game, like we're going to play 10 times until I beat you. Like I just had to win everything. And in this sense, I was looking at it in a new light and said, what if, you know, the original definition of compete is to strive to gain or win something. If you go all the way back to kind of the Latin competere, it's to come together to strive for something. And so that's kind of where a lot of people believe it's always this me versus you. But really, I look at, at compete in the lens of striving to gain your true potential. What are you actually capable of instead of settling for what's comfortable, convenient, what somebody else has told you? And I started telling people about this and, and not really sure what the business would look like, but I, I was confirmed and, and passionate about this message. Finally, after a few just things that did not work out, my best friend was like, hey, you should look at t-shirts. It's like, there's a company out of Boston called Life is Good. It's like they do 120 million a year at the time on a stick figure guy, funny enough, named Jake. He's like, I think you should try that. So I didn't know any better at the time. You know, ignorance is is bliss and a lot of a lot of life's journeys. And I put money into a couple of boxes of shirts and tank tops with just compete every day CED printed on the front back in May of 2011 and just started talking to anybody and everybody I could about this message. And fortunately, through friends that either felt sorry for me or really liked the message, they bought early shirts and helped spread the word. And, and over the next couple of years, things just really took off in that way. That's uh, that's amazing. I know that I have personally a couple of sweatshirts and and hoodies. And it's funny because my husband utilizes every opportunity he can if I'm having a, a frustrating day. Or I've been talking a lot lately about just kind of being in a funk. And he'll say, where's your hoodie? I'm like, what? He's like, where's your hoodie? Like, remember that you can do hard things and that's printed right on the front. And it's, and it's that reminder that all the, all of life's challenges we can navigate, you know, it's not certainly not impossible. Yeah. You know, it's funny. There were years ago cause we shifted the business pretty dramatically in, in 17, mainly to chase what I felt was the right direction. And there was a time where I always kind of felt like, huh, I don't know about the apparel. Do we want to stick with it? And stories like that are why we've stuck with it because more than anything, the shirt is just designed to empower you and remind you of what you're capable of. Like we print on some of the same stuff other brands do. There's some amazing apparel brands out there, but really when you've got like go-to items, you put it on for an interview, a date, a meeting because of how it makes you feel. It doesn't change you. It just reminds you and hopefully reinforces what you're capable of. And so for us, the apparel is really kind of that piece where Everything else we're doing from a teaching and training standpoint, we want to keep doing and growing, but we always want to go back to the apparel as like that message on those tough days when you're in a funk, when you're struggling of the reminder of what you're capable of. 
And and it's been really funny because of, you know, that chief encouragement officer, more than anything, that's where I look at our apparel. Our apparel is just a consistent source of encouragement for folks. That's right. Well, you guys do a great job with that. So anyone who doesn't have that, definitely go check it out. I've had people message me even on LinkedIn, like, hey, where'd you get that sweatshirt? Or <laughs> so I, I send them your way. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Uh, you have a lot on your plate between speaking engagements, running clearly a very successful company, uh, doing your regular contribution of even like snippets like you do on your podcast sometimes, which is you come on and you, you know, something compelled you to share that message, right? And so oftentimes those are through the things that we go through every day. There was one in particular where you were at the grocery store and you're like, the cart, you know, like put the cart back. And it's, and it's so funny because we have, uh, I tell my, my boys all the time, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so do not, if you walk past that garbage on the ground, like they, you know, or if you walk past that grocery cart, you just like set it to the side. So I've ingrained that in them so much or, or annoyed them with it so much that it's really stuck with them that it's like, it doesn't matter how far that cart you know, collection is, they're going to take it all the way there, or they're going to pick up the garbage on the ground just because it's been something that we talk about around how you do anything is how you do everything. So you're, you're constantly putting out all of these really great messages, but you're busy. You've got a lot on your plate. How do you, or I guess, where do you draw from to maintain the discipline required to do all of those things really well? Uh, doing it poorly for a while, uh, is part of it and learning that process, uh, especially as a kid with ADHD, you know, you, you figure out that your distractions everywhere. Uh, what I've really learned more and more, honestly, in the last like three years, and if you can hear the crying, my dog is over here pouting, hang on. <laughs> she wants, she wants out and she's, yeah wants to be on the show more than anything. Donut <laughs> Donut is the drama queen. Uh, you know, it's honestly, it's testing and not being afraid to say no, uh, because for the longest time I'd try to do everything. And it's really detrimental from a leadership standpoint when you carry everything on your plate, because one, you have people on your team that can do things really well, probably better than you. And you need to be able to focus on what you do best. The other piece is, you know, we change things within our brand and what we offered free and what we kind of put behind a, a paywall. And it really drew a line in, in certain individuals and customers. And, and I just kind of had to say, hey, listen, there's certain activities that we've done for free for years. There's hundreds of, of pieces of content out there. But at a certain point, as you're growing, you have to understand, okay, where can I put my time and where is it super limited? And I have to evaluate it constantly. I plan my days the night before, which is a key piece for me. I'm constantly on a weekly or monthly basis looking at my priorities. Um, I use the app Todoist, and that can become a never-ending to-do list that I, I talk about a lot of times in, in keynotes and especially on the podcast. And so what I always try to do is look at it and say, man, there's 10 things on here today. What are actually the priorities? I put them on a sticky note. Sticky note goes right on my computer so I can evaluate that. But early on, it's a constant game of testing. So when you're early, especially growing a business, trying a passion, you've got to test a bunch of different things. You've got to try writing a blog or recording a podcast or shooting a video to figure out a couple of things. One, what are you actually good at? What invigorates you? What helps you get alive? What, are your, what does your audience connect with? Then once you do it and you can kind of see the pieces of, okay, this is working, you have to become relentless at saying no to everything else and cutting that stuff out. And that's just a constant challenge for me. 
what I try to do is when I travel, I, I save flights for like sketching and brainstorming. So anytime I need to sketch out a new concept or a contextual model or an idea, I actually do it on a plane. And I'll throw a movie on, I'll have my headphones on almost like background noise, and I'll just draw on the plane. And that's what I use planes for. Or I'll use it for outlining a talk. Because I know like this is a good time when away from anything, I've got music on, I've got something, I'm just going to sketch it. When I'm on the road, like I know next week, for instance, I'm in Florida all week seeing a couple of clients for programs. So this week is, okay, is everything set for next week so that I can be completely locked into that moment with those clients taking notes, things like that. And then making sure the rest of my team, who's we've now started to grow, is set up to manage that. And so it's really kind of that constant refinement. And when you do mess up, it's how quickly can you reset? Life and, and success is really not about being perfect. It's not about perfection, but how quickly do we respond to imperfection? Think about sports. Nobody ever really has a perfect game. People miss shots in basketball. They strike out in baseball. They miss passes in football, miss tackles. There's always a mess up. But it's the ones that can quickly respond and rebound that have the most success long term. And, and that's really the same with life. You set out to manage your time today, your time gets hijacked. How quickly can you reset to get back on your priorities? Or if you lose that entire day, what is Tuesday or Wednesday going to look like when you can reset and refocus? And so that's where I try to really be more intentional is what does my reset look like and constantly making sure my priorities are still in front of me. And if they're not, either figure out one, who do I need to bring in on a part-time, full-time basis to help me make sure I'm back on the priorities and get this off my plate, or two, just being okay getting that off of the plate and being done with it all together and, and life will go on. You mentioned this in the beginning of your answer and uh, I'm sure you're all too familiar with the saying, show me your calendar routines and I'll show you your priorities. What does your routine look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What are those non-negotiable habits that, that you use to maintain that forward momentum? Yeah, I actually use an app called the Everyday app. Um, I absolutely love it. It's right iPhone app, Android app, super easy. Um, I put about 15 things in there that I try to do every single day. I um, mean, it starts with, for me, morning prayer, reading for 10 minutes, working out, um, and then I do a post online of some sort. LinkedIn, Instagram are kind of the two channels I try to tend to focus on the most just because of how our brand plays. And so, I spend my time, like if I can check those boxes, I have a couple other things I like to do on Monday through Friday, send an outbound sales call um, for our speaking business or write 250 words. Those pieces, I know if I stack them consistently over time, everything else will take care of itself. And so I try to at least get the day going and be checking those boxes of reading, prayer, working out before I even dive into what are my work priorities for the day. And though that I really like, as you talked about, you know, you read the book, the can't see choices. Those are the little things that most people, it's like, eh, it's just 10 pages or 10 minutes of reading. It's not a ton, but over the course of the year, it stacks huge to amount of how much content you're absorbing and learning from. And so I just try to make sure those little bitty steps every day, it's no different than, uh, I guess it's Admiral McRaven who talked about making your bed first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. like getting that done. So you give yourself a win. These are the ways I try to give myself a win each and every day because it just helps one know that I'm just adding another block to the foundation and eventually it's going to stack up. So those are kind of the non-negotiables that I can do even when I travel because I'm gone two out of four weeks in the month, uh, multiple days. And so I know if, man, I have a 6 a.m. flight, I'm, I'm not going to get a workout in at the house before I get there, but can I get one when I get to the hotel at night? 
Or can I make sure that I time up if Monday's my big travel day and I'm in all day sessions? Can I work out on Sunday, which would normally be a rest day, use Monday as a rest day, and then Tuesday in the hotel get a morning workout before I fly out or head back into sessions? So I try to be really cognizant of that, working it around the schedule so that as best as I can, I keep those little momentum pieces going regardless of where I am. One of my favorite questions to ask people who provide coaching themselves is, first, do you have a coach? And second, if you do, uh, what are what is an area or areas that you're continuing to do work on to get better? Yeah, so I actually have a coach and a counselor. So I have a counselor I just worked through and process on the mental side of things, emotions, thoughts, plan, all of that kind of stuff. And then my coach, my business coach, I've had currently since December, But I've hired different coaches based on different goals. And I really recommend this. So when I started the company, I had no idea what I was doing, lost tons of money doing this thing wrong. I ended up joining uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and their accelerator program. So I got into that. I learned. I got coaching. Got out of it in 2016, end of 16, when I was like, I think I might want to speak. Like I think this might be the new path for the brand and for me. I hired a coach in that world. Went and spent five months in Philadelphia training, uh, learning the performance side, crafting content, telling stories. When I finished that, I hired another coach to learn the business side of the business. Now we got to a point where we are of like, this is where I'm feeling a lot of tension. This is where I'm trying to go. And I'm not quite sure how to make that transition. Hired someone who she was a longtime mentor to me, but I knew she knew this because she'd done it. And I said, hey, I know you do coaching. I want to hire you to coach me. And so I stepped into that process. So at every stage, I think there's opportunities. I don't think who our one coach is in the beginning has to be it forever. But I think identifying and knowing what our goals are help us find the right coach. So that's kind of the the big piece I always try to tell um, everybody around coaching. And I tell people no. I told somebody no on Friday because they wanted career coaching. I said, that's not my world. But I know two to three people who are. Here's their websites, their emails. Just send them a note. Tell them I sent them your way. So that that's always key in the coaching. For me, we do kind of a weekly, we do a weekly call. It's an hour. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. Um, but it's really like me picking her brain, her holding me accountable to do the work I need to and that we've talked about. And then just updates. Because obviously, I don't need to know all 100 steps to get where she is. Right. I need to know what the next one to two are. And once I do the one to two, I'm going to have more questions about what I just did and about what's next. And so that relationship financially is a big investment, but one, it's already paid dramatic dividends in terms of how I've been able to position and think through stuff and position myself. And so that piece is really helpful um, on the coaching side, especially for those that are like, "Eh, I don't know if I want to pay for a coach. I always say making that investment kind of holds your feet to the fire. It's the difference between just having a gym membership that you may or may not use and nobody knows if you go and it's 30 bucks a month and who cares Versus you're paying a personal trainer 100 to 150 bucks a session, you're going to be there because you have a lot more on the line in that session and a lot more investment. And the same goes on the coaching side. You talk a lot about competing with yourself, having the tenacity and grit to keep moving forward, turning that dial, continuing to evolve. What are some actionable tips for someone who maybe is stuck, maybe has that fear like you talked about in the beginning of the interview around fear of failure, fear of looking like you don't know what you're doing? What are some actionable tips that somebody can take and really move forward with that? Yeah, I think the biggest one is learning to control our focus. And I say that because I believe our grit is built through grateful reps that inspire tenacity. So for me, gratitude, 
daily repetitions, knowing our inspiration, and then just being stubborn is really what builds our grit. Because if we think about it, the reason we don't take action, the reason we give up on things is because our focus is on elsewhere. It's on what are other people going to say, or how far is it to the finish line? How much work do I have to do? I don't know what step 50 is. Like We think everywhere else, but what's the next thing I need to do? What's one thing I have to do to get started? And focusing on getting that. And then tomorrow, it's like, okay, I did that. What's the next thing? Is it to do it again and do it a little bit better or just get going? And that's where I think social media trips us up because we see a lot of finished products versus the rough drafts. It's where we create these stories in our head and we're focusing everywhere else but except today. So regardless of what you're trying to do, my first question is, what's the most important thing right now? What, what is the most important thing you can do right now? If it's starting a business, it could be as simple as, hey, today you need one thing, search for trademark. See if the, the name of your company is already trademarked. Or just Google how to start a business in my city. Like that's the one thing I tell a lot of people. It's like we today we really have no excuse for saying I don't know where to start when Google is right there. And or at the very least, you can go on social media and find somebody doing it and just say, hey, what are two things that you wish you'd done when you started that you didn't? That if you did it over again, you would. There's so much information out there. And so getting started is to take your focus off of where you're trying to go, how far you have to go, everything else, and worrying honestly about other people's opinions. Because for the most part, like they don't really care. They're too concerned with what you're thinking about them in most cases. Or if they do care, hopefully they're the type of people that are supporting you. And if they're not, they're the ones that don't really matter. And so it's the idea of, okay, I'm going to take feedback and criticism or growth opportunities from people who are doing what I want to do, who have been there, who know it, who've learned it, not from the people sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. And so those kind of pieces come in. So the better we control our focus, which goes back to managing our time and battling distractions, the more effective we can be in everything because we're not focused on what other people are saying. We're focused on what I need to do today. We're not focused on how far we have to go. We just are focused on what's the step I'm taking today and knowing I'm going to play the long game. That greatly reduces the overwhelm of feeling like I have to have it all figured out and I need my 10-year plan, you know, all, all together right now. And so that next step, that next most important thing is a really great way to chunk it down into baby steps, but yet you're still causing forward movement. That's the key is, is just taking a step every day. Most people don't because they, they tend to think that, well, just one step's not going to get me there. It's not much. But what they fail to realize is if you just take that one step every single day, it stacks up to pretty significant distance over time. And that consistency is way more important than saying, I'm going to go all out for one week and then take a break for six weeks. I'm going to go all out. Like it's just a little bit every day that really creates the most impact. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to my son actually just this past weekend about he'd recently joined a football team and their first couple of games, they just lost badly. It was, it was tough. And they just had their first two back-to-back wins this past weekend. And I shared with him that the wins come from the lessons of the losses. And so we talked through this and it's, you know, if we can have the discernment to lean into those failures and those losses, we'll find that very playbook on how to get to or achieve the wins. What has been a big win for you that has come, and, and you've already talked about a couple of them already in this interview, but what's been a big win for you that has come as a result of learning what that loss had to teach you? 
Yeah, so I've had a few uh, over the years. I mean, one of the first ones was back in 13 when I was going way too big with the company too quickly uh, instead of strategically scaling. And we just got our tails handed to us at a couple of events where we lost a ton of money. I shifted the focus on the business. I stopped trying to go big and started focusing small local events. It rebounded us, helped us grow tremendously back in that 14, 15 range that got us kind of back on track. The other was really the lesson of going through the storm five years ago now when I started shifting the business. We made a couple of gambles knowing that we were turning the business and and neither one, I would say two out of three didn't work. The one where we ended up shifting work, the two that we bet on during did not. And so that 17, 18 mentally was the hardest period of my life because I was going through the storm of the business was failing on the apparel side because I stopped working on it to focus on what I believed and was right was the long-term play. And so going through that storm really just reinforced the importance of controlling what you can control, eyes down. If you believe this is the right way, if you're seeing the signs that back that, you just have to grit your teeth and get through the storm and know that, um, you know, the one thing always reminded me of is the best stories are not the smoothest ones and the easiest ones. And it's not the entrepreneurial story about the kid that was 20 and got zillions of dollars in funding and rode off in the sunset that everybody aspires to once you're past 20. It's the, hey, I was I was an immigrant. I came from another country. I built this thing up from nothing. I, you know, bootstrapped it. Or, you know, I was a single mom working, you know, three jobs and got to this point, did this, and my kids got to go to college and they're doing all this. Like it's the stories where there's challenges and adversity, just like in movies and books, like we want challenges and adversity. And I just continued to remind myself during that period when it was like, I was skipping paychecks to make sure our team was paid. We ended up having to change the whole structure internally. But I was like, this is the right way. I 100% believe it. And I just have to get through it. And so it was a tough season of looking back and saying, you know, trying to separate myself from what was happening from the identity of who I was. And just because part of the business was failing, it didn't make me a failure. Um, and so that was a big learning process of continuing to separate. But the second just continue to reinforce of know who you serve, know what your mission is, and constantly be open to figuring out ways to serve and add value to them. And that was a big change that really catapulted the business going forward because then it, it changed the mindset of how do we sell shirts to get going while we do this to this is the mission. We're just going to create things that support it to continue to build that mission. Well, I want to uh, reference a little excerpt in your book. When I get into a book, I'm, I am I love to have it in my hand and I love to mark it up and I love to really like underline and highlight the areas that were impactful for me. There was something I got out of this. In bright pink, underline this part here. When we do not intentionally choose how we go through each day, how we go out of our way to invest in our relationships and how we block our time, it comes back to bite us over a long enough period. It's a slow fade, unnoticeable at first. And by the time we do notice it, it seems like it's too late. Skipping down below, you you highlighted a couple of things here, but you may not have chosen one big outcome, but what you did choose, and I circled did because that's that action there, what you did choose were the small, seemingly inconsequential choices that over time created that big outcome. And that can be that can be positive or that can be negative, right? If you're choosing those little, you're making those little decisions to add that add to a big outcome, whether it's, you know, you, you were on a diet and then you start 
making poor decisions and what you eat and all of a sudden you've you've gained this weight or you've lost traction in your business, whatever it is. But that really, really was impactful to me at the time that I was reading this. And so my question to follow that up with is how much does mindset and physical health play in working to achieve greatness to you? Oh, I think they're they're so incredibly tied. From a, a number of standpoints, um, the physical side, I think the process of maintaining, building physical fitness and health is crucial from the energy levels you have, your longevity, sustainability, the ability to be consistent. I mean, I think about how much I just train physically, one, to put myself in uncomfortable situations so that I'm used to it in a physical sense and can lean into it in a mental sense but also just needing the energy and the wherewithal to be at my best so I can bring my best to others. I think it's really hard for people that don't believe in taking care of themselves physically to be taken as seriously when they talk about discipline, when they talk about leadership, because in order to lead, you have to first lead yourself. And if you can't have the discipline and the habits and things that are going to help build you, it's really hard for others to look at you as a, as a reliable source, whether you are or whether you aren't, you could have the best information in the world. So I think there's a big component of that. I think the the mental side of it ties into it so well because the physical and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations makes you more likely to do that in a mental sense. If you can push yourself through a terrible workout and learn a new skill, you one have realized I can do hard things. I can do tough things. I can build certain skills if I put in the time, energy, and reps. You help kind of build that growth mindset that's valuable in leadership and other areas. But building the mental side is it's that idea of constantly being curious. And nobody wants to work for with a leader, quote unquote leader, who believes they always know it all and they can't learn anything from anybody else. And that's where you're driven by ego and not excellence. And so the mental side of constantly looking for ways to, how am I taking care of myself? How am I constantly doing and learning, trying to get better, to apply stuff, to build up other people, to be my best, so we bring our best. I think that's one of the most important And it goes back to what you just said. It's the can't see choice. It's the decision every single day to say, okay, where am I going to push myself a little bit physically and a little bit mentally today? Just just 1%. Stack it over time. And realizing that by doing that, you're setting the example for everyone else. And so they're they're an incredible uh, key piece. And and I preface that of like, you don't have to be six-pack abs and look like Mr. or Miss Olympia to be taking care of your health. But what you need to do is be active because it's going to help you be more present, be more energetic, and it's going to help you set the example for things you want to talk about. Because if if we talk to our sales teams and we're like, hey, listen, you got to be more disciplined with your time and they're looking at you and you're not disciplined with how you spend your time, like there's a disconnect. And so leadership is always life service before lip service. And so I think the physical fitness, the mental fitness and building that mindset is so imperative because we have to change, especially from a mental side, how we see ourselves, what we believe, and how we show up before we can change anybody else. Yeah. Anybody who is listening to this, rewind this back about two minutes and listen to that over again and and, and take in what Jake just said, because that is, that's powerful. If somebody can get in integrity or incongruence with themselves on what that is, and that's mentally and that's physically, you will propel yourself forward. You know, no one ever did a really good workout and was like, oh gosh, that just, that sucked. Like you feel great, even if it was hard. And even if you had to push yourself, and even if you didn't want to do it in the first place, you felt better as a result. 
And most of the time that comes with that is that mental clarity or that you had been ruminating on something in your mind and all of a sudden the, the answer came to you during that period of time. So it's so valuable. I'm curious, let's take it back to childhood. What was some of the best advice that your parents gave you growing up that maybe at the time you thought was completely ridiculous and has really had real truth and value as you've become an adult? Yeah, there, there's probably a handful of those stories in the book. Uh, especially I grew up working at my dad's gas station in East Texas. Uh, he had a couple of stores in our little small town of like 13,000 people. But one of the ones I always remember that just kind of came full circle later in life with compete is in, when I was playing baseball, like coach pitch, I think we were just now getting to like pitching machine. And I was warming up before a game and a guy on third base threw the ball at me, hit me right in the face, knocked out my two front teeth, blood all over my Jersey, uh, played the game that day. And, and up until that point, I had been like perfect on the season, like hit everything on the pitching machine or coach pitch. Like baseball was my jam. And after that ball hit me, I was like, Nope, I'm done. Like every time a ball was coming at me, my brain was like, get out of the way. It's going to hit you in the face, even though it was nowhere near my face. And I tried to quit. And I remember like going to my dad and being like, I'm done. I don't like baseball anymore. And he knew like I, why I was trying to back out because I was afraid. And so he he made he had a rule that if you start a season, you finish a season. He's like, we can talk about it after the season, but you're going to play every game this year. And it was the reminder for me of like, there's always going to be things that you're afraid of, that you're scared of, that you're going to run away from. And unless you learn to lean into and overcome them, you're never going to grow as an individual and get to where you want. Funny enough, the situation that obviously inspired Compete was another one of those moments I, I ran from because I had the dis, this discomfort in my gut and felt it was like, oh, listen to your gut. Your gut's telling you to chase something else. In reality, your gut's just telling you, you've never done this before. You're scared. You're worried what people are going to think. You're worried if you're going to fail. Like You need to go do it. And so those kind of key points kind of going back to have continually reminded me that the best things that we do in life are the things that are going to be uncomfortable at first. It's uncomfortable to go out and ask somebody on a date. Probably the only way you're going to meet your spouse one day is, is going out with somebody for the first time and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and you're getting to know each other. You're going to be uncomfortable in the gym, but it's one of the only ways you're going to get in shape is by doing that uncomfortable work to grow and get better. You're going to be uncomfortable if you take a promotion or a new job or you move cities and you don't know people, but it's through that discomfort we grow the most. And so there's a way that every day we're either growing by finding a little bit of discomfort to lean into and look for opportunities, or every day we're shrinking away of, from who we could be by avoiding it and choosing what's safe and comfortable. And in the moment, it feels like it's the safest decision, but in the long run, it's the one that leaves you with regret, which means it's always the worst decision. Wow. What role does faith play in your life and in your business? Yeah, so that, that's actually a pretty interesting one. When I started Compete, um, I, I would say this Christian faith uh, was raised Southern Baptist, got out of church for a while after high school, uh, reconnected with my faith early, kind of mid-20s. And it's a really big influence on how I see things um, and how I create. And so when I started Compete, I actually looked at creating it as a faith-based brand. Hmm. And I had a buddy that took me out to lunch and he said, you can do that. And I know your heart's in the right spot. I think you could do great things with it. But you lose your ability to have conversations and be salt if you do that. He said, because people see, quote, Christian, Christian brand, things like that, and they automatically turn off. 
He said, but if you allow what you believe to influence what you create, you can create conversations. And he said, that's ultimately at the end of it. It's not the guy standing on the corner with a billboard that changes lives. It's the people that are having conversations over coffee and pouring into others. And so that's become a huge piece of it. And and over the years, we've done some different shirts where there's been faith elements woven into the shirt, whether it's a Slayer Giant uh, paying homage to to David and Goliath to we've done a Jeremiah 29, 11 back in like 2012. We had a Faith Over Fear series for a while. And so there's pieces of it that are in there. And I laughed at my first few years speaking people would always come up to me afterwards and ask me like, do I speak in churches? Have I done this? And I'm like, what? And they're like, you sound like a pastor. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. And so it, it's just naturally part of what I am and, and what I believe. And I laugh because, you know, our, one of our taglines is life is worth competing for. And I'm so passionate about it because I believe we were given one life and I believe that it's part of a bigger story. And that we waste the opportunity to add to that story and to impact others if we don't pursue our greatness and find out what we're capable of. And so I always go back to just the idea of running the race and not worrying about necessarily the finish line, but how am I running the race every day to the best of my ability and showing others and leading others in that regard. And so, yeah, I think it's a natural part. I, d- I don't think I could do what I do if, if there wasn't an element of it tied in um, because it just influences how I see the world. And I think Lecrae rapper talked about it best is how he believes influences what he creates. And there's no way he can create what he does unless it's influenced by his faith and what he believes and how he tries to love on people. And so that's just a natural part of it. I don't talk, I talk about it some on stages. I'm doing an event in um, November or October in Denver for Christian business leaders to talk about how do you have conversations with it. Um, but I don't necessarily talk about it a ton on the stage because I want to create conversations. And I think a lot of the stuff, if you come from a faith background, you read some of the content and the things I produce, you'll see elements of it woven in there just enough to help create uh, those conversations that hopefully gives me the opportunity to love on folks. That's an awesome perspective. And you you clearly surround yourself with good counsel when people when you go out to coffee and have conversations like that. Very, very fortunate for my uh, my travel blog buddy, Andy. Very good. In your experience in working with corporate teams, this is something I'm always curious about. I too work for a large corporate hospice company. And so what I'm curious of is what do you see is the biggest pitfall of organizations for their leadership teams? Is there like a any overarching theme that you have seen or coached people through? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. I've been incredi- incredibly fortunate that a lot of the clients I've worked with on the speaking, really, it always starts on the speaking side. I'll do a keynote and it creates the conversations of how do we implement more of this in our company. And so it leads to those coaching and training programs. But the, a lot of the clients I've worked with, they want to invest in their people. And I don't think that's across the board everywhere. There's a lot of organizations who don't want to invest in their people. I just haven't had the chance to work with them probably because I, I'm i not going to be your type of fit of I'll come in and feel everybody motivated, but I want to know what we're going to do for the next six months afterwards and how we let it live. What I have seen though in the groups that I work with in terms of developing the leaders and where pitfalls can be and, and for similar companies is we don't have a professional leader and management training program in place. We usually promote people who are really good at their job, and we think they could do do their job managing others, but we don't actually build the skills to train them on how to actually manage others, 
more than that, how are you coaching these people? Because managing is one way communication. Coaching is the two-way communication that actually helps the person being coached grow and be groomed and develop. And then creating that leadership development training program throughout a company that says, hey, we're going to put everybody through this. Or we're going to identify our top candidates and we're going to put them through this. And if you are upset you weren't chosen, we want to see like what you're going to do to help be considered for the next group. And if you're in it and you're not actually wanting to do it, then we're clearly identifying you may not be a fit for a management leadership role within this culture. And so a lot of the work I've done with teams is coming in and doing leadership development for either current leaders, potential future managers and leaders, and then helping them kind of create that curriculum through my competitive advantage model of how do we keep this ongoing? How do you constantly have a 12 to 24 month period, even professional and personal development, knowing that the better we train our people to be better people, the better we train them on how to manage and coach their teams, and the more we equip them with opportunities to lead, the better our culture as a whole will grow and thrive. And the outcome of sales and things like that will just take care of themselves if we take care of our people. So good. So good. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I want to make sure that people know where to find you, hear more about who you are, about the company, about the things that you're doing, and the the value opportunities that you could create for them as well. Will you share kind of where are you on social media, website information? I'll link all of this in the notes as well as a link to where to get your book, um, but would love for you to share that. You're so kind. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love to hang out most often on LinkedIn. You can just find me under Jake Thompson uh, or Instagram, which is Jake Thompson Speaks. Um, I post a lot of content on both, some the same, not always the same. And then website is jakeathompson.com. You'll find resources about the keynotes and workshops I do, as well as team consulting and training. Honestly, the organizations I work with, it, it's all across the board. It's you know local physical therapy teams in Florida that have multiple offices to multi-million dollar organizations in construction and real estate. So you let's talk about your problems and, and what challenges your team may have to building that culture. And, and if it's not a fit, I have a wealth of network resources that I can refer you to as well. And then if you want to find out more about the brand, the podcast, everything else, we make it super easy for you. CompeteEveryday.com and then Compete Every Day on every social media network. Awesome. Well, Jake, thank you so much. Number one, I appreciate all that you're doing. It's nice when you see people kind of rise up and do good things in companies, but it's it's when they're they have that foundation of just being a good person, a good human, and then they continue to succeed and show that example to those around them. I I absolutely love that. And so for everybody who doesn't know Jake, go, you know, get his book, learn more about him and and make sure to do yourself a favor and grab uh, all the content that he's putting out. Thank you yeah. so incredibly much. I'll echo something you said there on the end. I think for all of us, if we want to make impact, we have to understand what are the three to five values we want to live by and then make sure we align those choices so we're authentically living by them because there's only so long that you can fake it until essentially it falls apart. And so I know if you're listening to this show, if if they're connected with you because of everything I've gotten to know about you over the last year, that they're doing that. And so I would just encourage folks, write down your three to five values of like what you want to be known for, what you want to live by, and then just go after it every single day to make sure your choices align with it. And you'll make an impact, whether intentionally or unintentionally, just how you live and serve others. Mic drop right there. <laughs> Jake, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
Thanks for listening today. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, will you do me a favor? Go leave a review and share what you liked about it. Or heck, share what you didn't like about it. You'll struggle to find someone more open to feedback. And if you have ideas or comments on an episode, you can actually leave me a voice message directly. If you go to evokegreatness.com on the Contact Me tab, you can hit a button and leave me a voicemail. Y'all know I love a good quote, so I will leave you with this from Jeremy Coates. Being a champion has nothing to do with sports. It's a mindset, a skill of looking at challenges that seem impossible and rising up to overcome.